Good morning. My name is Dave Heinrichs. I'm one of the pastors here. When my wife and I started dating, my wife Andrea, I really enjoyed going over to her parents' house. They, they don't live far from here, at the end of Blue Mountain Road. And uh, I liked being a guest in her home. Her parents and her siblings were really welcoming to me. They enjoyed uh, getting to know more about me and sharing stories about their own lives. As a college student, I really enjoyed the meals, right? Not just the fact that they were free, but I love the fact that I didn't have to do any preparation. I could just show up, and because I was a guest, they wouldn't even let me help clean up. It was fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed the hospitality and the friendship I experienced in those days. And I still do today, but things have changed. I'm no longer just a guest in their home. Since I married Andrea, I have become a family. I no longer call her parents, Mr. and Mrs. McNally. I now call them mom and dad, and they refer to me as their son. And I still enjoy sharing meals and stories in their home, but as a family member, I am now expected to contribute. Whether it's bringing something to add to the meal or helping with the cleanup, things are different now that I am family than when I was just a guest. And though I thought I had a sufficient number of parents and siblings in my life before I was married, I have come to love and appreciate Andrea's family as my own. I'm glad to call them mine, and I wouldn't have it any other way, which is good, because I didn't have a choice. That's because when you marry someone, you inherently become a part of their family, whether you like it or not whether you choose to live and love like a family or not. And the same is true with following Jesus. In the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, we will see that when an individual chooses to commit themselves to following Christ as Lord and Savior, they not only become a disciple or an apprentice, but Jesus becomes their brother, God their father, and they now belong to the family of God known as the church, whether they like the church or not, whether they choose to live and love as the church should or not. In Mark 10, we learn that when you follow Jesus, you join his family. So would you please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We're going to be beginning at verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, well, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Well, this morning we are in our third week in our series entitled, Who We Are Becoming, which focuses on our church's vision statement and our five core values, which are worship, prayer, generosity, discipleship, which Pastor Reese spoke on last week, and community, the value we're going to be looking at today. Now, our vision statement says that we are a Christ-centered, cross-cultural, and intergenerational community called to model unity and to live prayerfully, generously, and redemptively in a broken world. Our core value statement on community clarifies, saying, we are committed to building a welcoming community of faith where all are loved, supported, and given opportunities to serve. Now, I appreciate how these two statements, they balance each other out, right? First, declaring we are a Christ-centered community, but then saying we're committed to building and becoming that kind of community. You see the difference? Someone might ask, well, which is it? Like, are you already this kind of church yet or not, right? It's both, which this kind of paradox we see throughout the scriptures and we also experience individually as well when we follow Jesus. Like when Christ came, he declared the kingdom of God had arrived. And yet he tells his followers, well, the kingdom of God, it's not fully here yet until I return. Or in the same way, when you and I place our, our hope in Jesus it says that we are given a whole new life in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Yet each of us knows all too well how we continue to wrestle with old patterns and sinful behaviors that we wished had died out long ago with that old life. So we live in this tension of what is already reality in Christ and what hasn't come to completion yet and it's the same for the church. In many ways, churches have lived out the calling that God has given to them in this world, but in many ways, churches fail. And quite frankly, it is this failure of churches why many people have so much frustration, anger, pain, and disappointment with the church. Because we so often do not live like we say we should, or as Jesus tells us to, 
So, so much of this world has written the church off as irrelevant, and sadly, many professing Christians have also abandoned the church, thinking that it's either a hindrance or an unnecessary part to following Jesus. But Jesus invalidates that kind of thinking for his disciples when in Mark chapter 10, he tells anyone who would follow him that they must radically reevaluate what they love and believe is important and that if you're going to follow him, you are going to join his family. In this account, we see this man come up to Jesus and ask him a really good question, probably the best question you can ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't have the time this morning to get into all the details of their exchange, but basically Jesus tells this man that all of his good deeds and his religious observance, they're not enough to save him. What this man ultimately needs and what is required of each of us in order to be saved is Jesus, to trust in him for our salvation, to live according to his ways, and to devote our entire lives to following him. And to do that, you're going to have to reprioritize. You have to put Jesus first. You have to start to value what he values and love what he loves above other things. And then there are even some times when Jesus tells us, reprioritizing, that's not enough. In some situations, he tells us that we need to completely cut something out of our lives if we're going to follow him, just like he does in this story with this man and his wealth. Now, we might be tempted to think that this is a unique situation, right? Obviously, this guy struggles with idolatry when it comes to his money, and so much so it prevented him from following Jesus and entering the kingdom of God but it's unique. That's not me. God's not telling all of us that we have to sell everything. Being rich, it's not a sin, right? True. But we cannot ignore the fact, or we cannot ignore what Jesus is saying here in this passage about wealth. He says that it is uniquely hard for the wealthy to enter his kingdom. He says in verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And in case we didn't hear him the first time, Jesus doubles down on that statement saying again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe we need to sit on that one for a while. So does this mean we all have to give up our wealth and become poor in order to be his disciples? Perhaps in this moment, we're starting to compare ourselves to the people in the pews around us, and maybe for the first time, we're thankful we're not as well off as they are. See, I cannot tell any of you what Jesus is asking you to reprioritize in your life. Or what he is asking you to give up. What you need to give up in order to follow him faithfully. That's the job of the Holy Spirit who reveals these things in a variety of ways. And perhaps it is your wealth he's asking you to rid of. Or maybe it's a career ambition or a hobby or a relationship. I don't know. But what I do know 
is that each person that Jesus invites to be his disciple will be required to make some painful sacrifices. Each person Jesus invites to be his disciple will be required to make some painful sacrifices. Jesus says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you see in that passage, Jesus is not just asking us to make sacrifice. He's not only asking us to deny ourselves as if he enjoys our pain and suffering. It's not it at all. Put that verse up again, please, so that we can all see. He says, whoever loses their life for me will find it. We will find life, real life, abundant, everlasting life. You see, Jesus loves us, and because he loves us, he offers us something in exchange for whatever it is we deny ourselves. And that is just what he did with this rich man in this passage. In verse 21, it says that he loved the man and that he didn't just tell him, go and sell everything. He said, you need to go sell everything and exchange it. Sell it. Then come and follow me. Jesus offers each one of us something far greater in exchange than whatever he asks us to deny ourselves. He offers us something far greater in exchange for whatever we need to deny ourselves. But though this man is wealthy, he shows that he is a terrible appraiser, right? He leaves sad because he values his wealth more than Christ's invitation to be his follower. He loves his riches more than a place in God's kingdom and the eternal life that he came in search of. Quite honestly, he is a fool. He cannot decipher between what is temporary and what is eternal, between what has real, lasting value and what's just smoke and shadows that will just disappear someday. Like the disciples, we can be tempted to exclaim, you know, when, when we see what we have to give up, like, Jesus, what you're asking, it's impossible, right? Not so, Jesus says in verse 27. All things are possible with God. And by saying this, Jesus is promising that God will help us to make the sacrifices that we need to make in order to follow him. It may be hard. It may be painful, but it's not impossible. But you know, like that rich man, many of us can be terrible appraisers too. Where we do not value what Jesus values, nor do we love what he loves, we can struggle to decipher between what's temporary and what is eternal. And in the last part of this story, Jesus shows us that what he loves and what has eternal value, and it's his family that we join when we follow him. At the very end of the passage, Peter exclaims to Jesus, we have left everything for you. 
We've given up our homes. We've, we've left family to be on the road with you, our jobs. We've looked at everything we've left. And Jesus tells him and the rest of the disciples, he's like, don't worry. It was totally worth it. He says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Home and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions. I don't know how much I like that one. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Do you see what you get in exchange for following him? What we receive in place of denying ourselves. You get his family. You get the church community. Oh, and you get eternal life. He adds that last one on like it's the cherry on the top. But that's for later, he says. That's in the age to come. The big payoff for following him and for sacrificing for him that starts here and now and that lasts for eternity is being a part of the family of faith. There's some amens. But some of us might be thinking, seriously, Jesus? Right? Do you really think that the church is the reward that's going to sway people to give up all they have and come follow you? Like, maybe you need to re-examine your marketing techniques, Jesus. Because, I mean, have you seen the church lately? Have you seen the people who go to church? He has. He sees them and he knows them better than you or I. In fact, he sees you and me, and he knows us and what we need better than we know ourselves. And for reasons, some only known to God, we need one another. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it means joining his family. You see, it's inherent in being his disciple. God made it this way. It is just like how Andrea's family became my family when we got married. Now, I understand not all families live like a family should or love like a family should. And often there are some very valid reasons for this. Unfortunately, it's not always possible because some family members just aren't safe. And sadly, the same can be true for church communities. However, this is not indicative of all churches. I have had the blessing of being a part of six church families throughout my life, and though all of them, all of them have failed in some way to live up to the high calling Jesus gives the church to love others, to love ourselves, right, themselves, to, to care for creation and to be reconciled with God. In some way or another, each one has failed at times. Yet each of these church communities have been places of healing and encouragement and discipleship and mutual love that I am so grateful for. You know, there may be times in our lives when we do need to move on from one church community and find another. I think people do that far too easily in our day, but that's a message for another day. But we need to take seriously the fact that when Jesus calls us to follow him, 
He calls us to do it within a body of believers and as much as is possible for each of us. He is calling us to live and to love like family. Now, no doubt that we all struggle to do this. I struggle to do this. And we have a hard time seeing what Jesus sees and loving what he loves. But just as Christ's invitation to the rich man to follow him required that man that he reevaluate what has real worth, Jesus looks at each one of us and he loves us and he also extends to you and I that same invitation to reevaluate and to follow him as a part of a family. And just as we live in that tension I spoke about earlier about how Christ's kingdom, it's, it's already arrived, but it's not here yet. You know, and how we have new life in Christ, but we continue to wrestle with that old self. God is also calling his followers to live in the tension of being a part of his family. A community like Calvary Baptist which in many ways we do live out the calling God has given to us in this world, but in many ways we fail. But just because we fail does not mean that we give up. We don't give up on trying to live out our values and we don't give up on each other or the church. And the reason we don't give up is because we know that Jesus is not done with us yet and he hasn't given up on us. In Philippians 1, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. And he's speaking to a church family. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, you see, God knows that we're not complete neither as individuals nor as a community. But Paul reminds us that God began something good with the church and that one day he will make us whole and then we will be able to completely live out his will perfectly. However, in the meantime, we need to live in the tension. And there will be tension. The tension between the community we are and the community we're committed to becoming. And in the time that I have remaining in this message, I want to review some of the attributes that our vision statement and core value statements say are to characterize our community, the kind of family that we're trying to be here together. So the first attribute in our vision statement says that we are Christ-centered, and then in the value statement it says a community of faith. Now, this is central to who we are. Jesus is the tie that binds us. You know, it's our shared faith in him that makes us a family. And so I preached uh, a sermon on this a couple of weeks ago. And so if you want to hear more about being Christ-centered and what that means for us, I'd encourage you to head over to our website and you can give that sermon a listen if you weren't there. But I cannot overstate uh, how Jesus is the entire reason for our existence as a church. As Colossians 1 says, he holds it all together and he is the head of the body, the church. The next attribute 
of our church is being cross-cultural. You can go to the next slide. There we go. We recognize that one of the greatest things that Jesus' death did for us after reconciling us with God was reconciling us with one another. In particular, making peace between believers from different cultures. You see, one of the greatest uh, emphasis in the New Testament is how Jesus destroyed the barrier between the Jewish believers and all the non-Jewish believers, the Gentiles. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And then we get this beautiful picture in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where the Apostle John, he gets this glimpse of what this one new humanity looks like when he sees the church in the future kingdom of God. He writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. It's beautiful, yeah. You know, we are blessed here that people from a variety of nations and languages are part of our church family here. And we need each other. And we need to learn from one another. I need to learn from people from cultures different than my own. And though I think it will bring with it some more challenges, I pray that God makes us even more cross-cultural because I believe that it will also bring us more blessing and it will, will be more like that picture that John sees. And I want us to not only be more cross-cultural within the pews, my hope is that we are more cross-cultural within our leadership and the various roles in our church because this is the vision that God has for his church. The next attribute our vision statement says is that we are intergenerational. Intergenerational. Psalm 145 sings of the importance of having multiple generations in the family of faith, saying, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. I love this because it doesn't just say the older generation tells the younger generation of God's work, but it's one telling the other, right? It's a reciprocal relationship. We need people from all generations and ages within our church body. Just like we need different cultures, we need the different ages. We need seniors who demonstrate what faithfulness over a lifetime looks like. And we thank you. We need teenagers to show us that the family of faith is allowed to have fun. And we thank you for showing us that. We need families with young children who disrupt the sermon. And we thank, oh, I don't know about that one. And we need single adults who remind us that there is a family to love beyond just our children and spouses. You see, we need each other of all stages of life and different ages. We need each other. And our value statement continues saying, we are committed to building a welcoming community. This not only means that we are welcoming 
those who follow Jesus or those that we recognize on a Sunday morning who are already a part of the family, but we want to be welcoming to everyone who is curious about him and who may be checking out the church community for the first time. Leviticus 19 says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So if you're new here this morning, whether it's your first time or you've been, you know, you've been here before, but you still feel new, I just want to say welcome. I hope that you have been welcomed here and that you feel free to ask questions. You know, some of the things that we do might feel strange or uncomfortable, and we get that because at some point in time, we were all new. And it's already been announced this morning, but that if you're available after the service, I really want to encourage you, please join us downstairs for lunch after the service. We would love to get to know you and, uh, yeah, to hear more about your story. And, yeah, it's, it's open to anybody. If you've here within, let's say, the last year, you've never been to one of our newcomers' lunches, feel free to come and join us. Finally, Our value statement says that we are committed to being a community where all are loved, supported, and given opportunities to serve. And I think this is a great description of what a family is intended to be like and what our church is supposed to be. And though our goal is to love everyone who walks through those doors, just like my wife's parents loved me when Andrew and I just started dating. There was a significant development when we got married. That commitment that I made to their daughter, it resulted in me becoming a part of the family. No longer did they see me as just a guest. And as a part of the family, our commitment to love each other, it deepened. And the support that I received from her family and that they received from me, it's grown, it's become greater. And the opportunities that we have to serve each other have expanded. And that's what Jesus wants from each of us and wants us to find in his church. A family where followers can commit themselves to loving, supporting, and serving each other, whether that's Calvary or whether that's another local body of believers. And I hope you can hear me clearly. I'm not saying that you need to become an official member of our church in order to become part of the church family. Though we would like you to become an official member of the church, and I'm up hosting that baptism and membership class. But I need to say, there are people here who are much more devoted members of our church family whose names are not on the registry than some whose names are. What I am saying is that even though all are welcomed and all are loved, you cannot experience the love, support, and mutuality that Jesus holds out as the great reward for following him unless you put your trust in him, unless you reassess and you begin to value what he values and love what he loves and Jesus loves the church and he loves you and though it might seem impossible to give up your life in exchange for Jesus 
It might seem too hard to sacrifice whatever he's asking you to deny yourself. Or perhaps it seems impossible to love the church because of how people in the church have hurt you in the past. I agree that on our own, it is impossible. But not with God. Remember what Jesus said. All things are possible with God. And so I would encourage you that if you've never put your trust in Jesus to accept his invitation to be his disciple today and receive the great reward of becoming a part of his family and to receive the gift of eternal life. And if you're here this morning and have accepted this invitation, I would invite you to please come and talk to me or one of our prayer leaders who will be at the front this morning. And if you're watching online, I would encourage you, send me an email dave at calvarybaptist.ca or give a call to the office this week. We would love to pray with you and to help you further along in that journey. Or perhaps you're already a follower of Jesus, but you're not a part of a church family for some reason. And when I mean a part, I mean more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. You see, this isn't a church service. This is a family gathering. Maybe today is your day to reevaluate. To value the church, not because it's perfect, we know it's far from that, but because it belongs to Jesus. It's his family that he loves. Maybe you need to forgive someone in order to return. Or maybe you're the one who needs forgiveness. And if you have been hurt by someone in the church, particularly if you've been hurt by a leader in the church, I just want to say, I am sorry. But I also want to encourage you, to be obedient to Christ, to find a church family that you can love and that will love you. And finally, for all of us here, I would like to encourage us as we continue on in the series for the next four weeks to review our church's vision statement and our core values in order to remind ourselves of the kind of people and community that we have committed to becoming. And then we need to do our best to live it out. Paul writes in Galatians 5, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let's make sure that we do not hold it just as an idea in our head or a sentiment in our hearts, but let's work out its implications in every detail of our lives. In closing, I want to invite the worship team, if you guys can come on up. I also want to invite any one of you who considers Calvary to be their church family, or anyone who wants to join us as our church family, I would invite you to stand now with me. Thank you, Judy. It always takes one. If this is your church family, or you want this to be your church family, stand now with me, and I want us to read aloud together our vision statement and our core value on community. Together, we are a Christ-centered, cross-cultural, and intergenerational community called to model unity and to live prayerfully, generously, and redemptively in a broken world. We are committed to building a welcoming community of faith where all are loved, supported, and given opportunities to serve. Amen. Let's worship.